and welcome to Hi, and welcome to Declarations, and welcome to the first episode of Declarations. Hello, and welcome to this From the University of Cambridge, welcome to Declarations. The human rights podcast run out of the Centre of Governance and Human Rights. Hello, I'm Matt Mahmoudi. And I'm Sarah Mohammed. And we are your hosts for Season 2 of Declarations Podcast. Over the course of the past year, we've explored and struggled with numerous topics related to human rights and governance in our ever-changing world. We spoke to academics and activists, to students and social movers, to journalists and news junkies, a wide group of people across the world who are invested in considering what rights mean to them in their world. So, before we give you a taste of what we have in store for our brand new season, We thought it would be worthwhile to return to some of our favorite conversations that we had about human rights in our contemporary world. Then we'll give you a chance to meet our new panelists and to give a sense of some of the exciting topics we'll cover in this season two of Declarations podcast. Take it away, Matt. So one of the most interesting and indeed stimulating conversations we had on the podcast last year was with Masha Alyokina, a member of the feminist punk rock protest group Pussy Riot based in Moscow. Masha was imprisoned for two years until her eventual release in December 2013. Masha was participating in a gender and political academy conference right here in Cambridge, and we caught up with her to share her experiences and to give insight on the importance of dismantling patriarchy and claiming rights in the face of repression. They are not um, seeing you as a person, but as a, let's say, detail of the mechanism which should work. And uh, when you see the system from the inside, the first, like, first thing, what you want to do, just to somehow controverse it. So it's so cool that you guys got a chance to speak with her. I know, it was unreal. She was so cool, and she was just sitting there, like, you know, keep it coming at me. I've got, you know, the whole day to answer these questions. She was just so down to earth. As you'd expect from a member of Pussy Riot, then? Of course. (laughs) So we also took advantage of the cutting-edge researchers here in the University of Cambridge to explore the question of rights through the prism of economics and political geography, sociology, and political science. Here's Dr. Adam Branch's take on the racial legacy of the interventions of the International Criminal Court. I think it also taps into a long-standing image of Africa as being a terrain of victims, right? Back yeah. to the colonial period, a terrain of victims in need of saving by, you know, Western saviors. So you could, in, on racial terms, on geographical terms. So I think it actually goes back to the very first question you were you were bringing up of of whether the ICC sort of has an Africa problem. And I think it's definitely a major, it's a deep problem that the ICC, you know, 15 years after having been set up, has prosecuted only Africans. But I'm not sure that the African Union's position identifies what that problem is as accurately as it could. Because like Georgiana was saying, half of the ICC's cases in Africa right now are actually African states asking the ICC to come in and prosecute Somebody. In the midst of calls to revoke the Nobel Prize of Aung San Suu Kyi, we talked to Dr. Thomas McManus from the International State Crime Initiative about the underground realities in Rakhine State, where Rohingya Muslim minorities are experiencing what may well turn out to be an officially recognized genocide. Suu Kyi maintains a politically neutral or even dismissive stance on this situation. Here's a clip from our conversation with Thomas. The military weren't actually involved that much. 
And this changed in October 2016 when military outposts and police stations were attacked in northern Rakhine State. Details are sketchy, and as a result, the army has decided to launch a clearance operation in northern Rakhine State. It's kind of sold to the international community as a counter-terrorism operation or a counter-insurgency operation. But there's very little evidence of a significant insurgency. And this police operation is completely disproportionate response. And according to Amnesty International and other reports from Human Rights Watch corroborate this, somewhere between 30 and 70,000 people have been driven from their villages by these military operations. So, that's our look back. But now, let's look forward. For season two, we're dividing our year into three thematic elements. Our first thematic group is protest. Over the course of the next few weeks, we'll be exploring how the practice and theory of resistance, power, and rights intersect and divide. After that, we'll be dealing with subjugation. And finally, technologies of oppression and technologies of liberation. So we've got a very exciting year planned for you. Stay tuned. And we've got some new panelists on board. A warm welcome and thank you in advance to Niusha Bastani, Arindrajit Basu, and Michael Barton, who are joining our team of panelists. Also, a huge thanks to our team of researchers, marketers, and guest liaisons, without whom the second iteration of declarations would not have been possible. I have to say, I'm so incredibly psyched that you're joining me on this venture, Serrera, and I can't wait to show our audience the phenomenal roster of speakers, topics, and debates we've put together. And I'm glad to be working with you too, Matt. So be sure to tune in to the first episode of Declarations titled Still I Rise, coming at you next week. See you then.